Did India assassinate a Canadian citizen on Canadian soil? Is Canada harboring terrorists who strike out against India from within our borders? These are the competing claims that are at the center of an international diplomatic spat between Canada and India. Spat seems like too light of a word, but I can't think of a better one that fits with the usually calm diplomatic language used between allies and fellow democracies. Hello, I'm Brian Lilly, and this is the Full Comment Podcast. Canada's relationship with India is perhaps at its lowest point. It was already at a low point before Justin Trudeau made the explosive allegations on Monday that he has evidence that India may have been involved in the June murder of a BC Sikh activist. But now they're sinking faster than we can measure. Our next guest is someone who has great insight into the strained relations between our two countries. But before I get to him, I want to remind you to hit that subscribe button on whatever app or device you're listening to us on. If you're listening to us via one of Post Media's websites, you can subscribe via Apple, Google, Amazon, Spotify, and more. Now, Ujjal Dasanj is no stranger to the oft-strained relationship between Canada and India. He was born in India's Punjab region in 1947. He first moved to the United Kingdom in his late teens before coming to Canada at the age of 21. He was a successful lawyer, the mayor of Vancouver, the NDP premier of British Columbia, before moving on to be a liberal MP and federal health minister under Paul Martin. He's also been the target of Sikh extremists himself in this country and was once severely beaten in an attack, despite being Sikh himself, all because he spoke out against the extremist position. I can't think of a better person to help unpack all the complex issues surrounding what is at the top of the news this week, other than Ujjal Dasanj. Ujjal, thanks for the time today. Good to be with you. Um, I, I'm not even sure where to begin here. Um, we've got the the low point of relations, we've got the explosive allegations. So maybe let's start there. Um, the Prime Minister has so far said that there's credible evidence of a potential link. That's not exactly definitive language. It's somewhat diplomatic still. And he hasn't shared any of the information at this point, as you and I speak, publicly. But I'm still inclined to believe him, but hoping to, to see something. What's your takeaway over the last few days? Well, whether one is likely to believe um, the Prime Minister or not, if you are a citizen of Canada, the Prime Minister stands up in the House of Commons and says uh, something as serious as he did say, you must believe him. You have no choice. Uh, but beyond that, then you begin to wonder uh, what prompted him to make such a serious statement at the time. Now, somebody told me that some newspaper was going to come out with an article saying that, uh, and therefore he had to preempt that. Um, you know, statesmen or women don't make statements uh, as grievous as this one was um, just to preempt um, a, a news column or, um, you know, whatever was going to come out. So that puzzles me. While the RCMP are still going around showing CCTV footage to people saying, tell us who these people are, those are the suspects, um, uh, 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 he says he has credible evidence. I mean, that, that baffles me. Uh, if you have credible evidence, why is the RCMP running around trying to get uh, people to identify uh, the possible culprits? Um, either you say you have the evidence and place it before the House, or, you know, be a statesman and deal with 
um, what was until the other day a friendly country. Yeah, faulty democracy, but you know, democracies are messy. Um, uh, so deal with a friendly country in a way that's uh, conducive to uh, having good relations with each other. And that didn't happen. The man that uh, Justin Trudeau has said India was involved in the murder of, and if that's the case, then I'll call it an assassination because it's politically motivated, was a, a man named uh, Hardeep Singh Nijar. He was declared a terrorist by the state of India, but they have a different definition of terrorism than we do. We The evidence wasn't tried in court, but they obviously have a very distinct view of him. Um is India at the point of trying to deal with Khalistani extremists by conducting extrajudicial executions? And, and I ask in the context of there's a, a Canadian citizen, um, Mr. Rana, uh, Tawar Hussein Rana, I believe is his full name. He's in the United States uh, facing extradition. He's a Canadian, but he's uh, in the United States. India is trying to extradite him for what they say was his role in the 2008 Mumbai attack, which was a horrific one, killed uh, um, close to 200 people. Uh, so if they're going to extradite in one case, um, are, are they going to you know, pull off executions in another? It, you know, how, how vexed are they by the issue of Khalistani extremists? Well, they're quite vexed. Uh, that's a given because in India, I was in Punjab in May. There is no sign of Khalistan movement in Punjab. I went to my village. It's a big village. There was not a single saffron turban to be found. Um, so it's quite vexing for them. Um, but, you know, I was listening to an interview of uh, Mr. Dulat, who, who used to be uh, head of the Indian intelligence agency, RAW. Um, and he made a point of saying that the allegations coming from uh, Canada were bizarre because it is not the culture of raw to go across borders to kill people. At least it wasn't when he was the head. So I can actually believe under Modi, who, um, uh, you know, uh, prizes himself for being macho Modi in international affairs, uh, I can believe that, that, that there's a possibility uh, that the uh, culture of the Indian intelligence may have changed under him. And it's quite possible uh, that uh, that Indian um, agents did as alleged by the prime minister. I, you know, I believe my prime minister because ultimately you have to believe your leaders um, in these kinds of serious issues. Uh, but, you know, beyond that, I don't know what to make of it. <sighs> We're kind of skating past a bunch of, of serious issues, not drilling down on them yet, because, as I said, there's so much to discuss here. You mentioned there's no sign of support in Punjab for Khalistan while you were there. Um, India has, uh, Mr. Nijar was obviously heavily involved in the Sikh separatist movement calling for a Khalistani homeland. There are claims that he was training people. Uh, in uh, military activities outside of the area of Mission BC, that uh, India has claimed that he was involved in various terrorist attacks going back to 2007, 2016. So this is this is not a uh, a man without controversy, a man without uh, some problematic aspects, but he's still a Canadian citizen, and and so the the idea of 
an extra judicial killing, an execution, um, is one that if there is evidence, we we can't just walk past it and say, well, India is a big player on the world stage now. India is a powerful economy. We have to get on board with them. Um, you know, the Prime Minister Trudeau, um, under questioning from journalists the other day, did say, look, we, we want to keep working with India, but they have to take this seriously. Um, is it, what's your take on, on, on the idea of defending uh, against someone like Nijar with all the accusations against them from being executed by a foreign government? Or I think that, that Prime Minister is within his rights and we are within our rights as Canadians to to ask those questions of India and say, why did you do this? And, you know, cough up uh, the facts and, and deal with it reasonably. I think that that's all, uh, that's all appropriate. Um, and But my, you know, suspicion is grounded in the fact that Mr. Niger wasn't um, a general of a liberation army. I mean, he was, he was uh, you know, if I might say, a, a minor player in the international arena. Uh, why would a country of 1.4 billion go across borders to take him out uh, unless they wanted to um, set an example uh, for others? Now, that is a possibility uh, because he was a thorn in their side along with this Mr. Pannu from across the border in the U.S. Um, and, and you know, uh, that doesn't justify it, but that may explain it. Which do you, which theory do you put more weight in, that India would have been behind this or that this was gangland activity, rival factions? Um, you know, I, I have no facts more than what's publicly available. It is quite possible that, uh, Indian operatives made it happen, uh, and that's condemnable. But it is also quite likely that this is the result of the internecine fighting um, within uh, the Khalistani ranks. If you remember, Mr. Malik, the Air India accused, who was acquitted, he had been weaned away from Khalistan by Modi and his supporters. He went back to India, was allowed to go and sang praises of Mr. Modi and met with the Indian intelligence for several hours. Um, and that fact became known in the community and he was knocked off in broad daylight. Now, he and Mr. Nijer had a running feud um, because Mr. Mr. Nijer called him a traitor to the idea of Khalistan publicly before uh, Malik was assassinated. And uh, they also had a dispute on whether or not, you know, Mr. Malik was allowed to publish or print copies of the Holy Scripture on a machine that he had brought from India. Uh, Indian uh, religious authorities told Malik to hand over the machine to Mr. Nijer. And there is a dispute in the court going on about that. So, you know, there was speculation within the community that this is tit for tat, uh, that, that Mr. Nijer was knocked off on Father's Day. And uh, Mr. Malik's three sons, uh, that was a, for, for, for them, that was a gift for their dead father. I mean, that's, you know, that's the other thing that's going on in, in the community. I don't know what the truth is. Uh, you know, I, I wish I did. But, but you, you did say earlier the RCMP are still going around with photos. Is that since Monday that the RCMP is still asking people who oh, yeah. are these men? Oh, absolutely. That's what I was told. Wow. No, no the, you tell me that the prime minister stands up in the in the you know in the highest court in the land in a sense 
which is which is the the House of, the House of Commons, yes, uh, and 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 accuses another country of assassinating a Canadian citizen. I mean, those are serious charges, and he hasn't given an iota of evidence, not to me, not to the public, not even to the leader of the opposition. Uh, Mr. Polyev said that uh, he was told no more than the Prime Minister said in his public statement. Um, same with Mr. Singh. Now, Jagmeet Singh is going to absolutely go after the Modi government that he has a history there as well there's a lot of well, a lot of histories in politics well, in, well, involved he, he is um uh, you know i have i've seen videos of him going around when he became the leader where he uh, was seen speaking at a sovereignty conference for Khalistan supporting the idea of Khalistan so he's a committed Khalistani one of his friends in one of the documentaries i saw said that he and Mr. Singh went into politics to litigate 1984, uh, went into Canadian politics to litigate 1984. So it's, you know, that's a given. And, uh, and so, you know, there is no uh, trust between the governments of two countries right now because, because Modi sees Trudeau uh, as surrounded by Khalistan. He's including Mr. Jagmeet Singh, and he has a history with Khalistanis, of course, during his leadership and beyond in government. Um, and and our prime minister, uh, for legitimate reasons, uh, doesn't think that Mr. Modi is a Democrat. I mean, because Mr. Modi has a history, both going back to 2002, the Gujarat riots, and now the lynching of the Dalits, the untouchables, lynching of the Muslims, and, and the lynching of the Christian minority in the Northeast, and he remains silent. So we have legitimate concerns about how Mr. Modi functions. Um, and therefore, you know, if, you, if you're looking at the larger question of the overall relationship between Canada and India, I must admit, I must confess to you that, that if you want any improvement, you have to actually let, look beyond the current regimes, the current heads of the two states. Uh, and then hopefully our relationship might improve. Uh, Modi is, um, as you say, not exactly a Democrat yeah. at all times. Yeah. He leads the world's largest democracy, but you know he he looks he looks away at certain things that he shouldn't be looking away from. Or he he he's taken India, which is supposed to be a secular yeah. country. Yeah. Turned it into a Hindu nationalist well, state. That's, well, that, that's what he's trying to do. Uh, unfortunately, you know that's not that's not true yet. But you know, I hope that that uh, you know something happens between now and the next election to to take him away from that road that he's taken. I was arguing in a arguing in in a column in the Toronto Sun the other day that the Prime Minister, the reason he needs to put forward some evidence, is that it would force Modi's hand. He doesn't need to display the whole case, but if he put forward some evidence, yeah. it would assure the public, it would force Modi's hand to respond, and it might get some of our allies who have not been running to our defense. They put out statements of deep concern. Okay, well, that, that's not much. Um, but it might have them standing up and and saying to the Modi regime, look, you've, you've got to deal with this. Absolutely. Uh, I think that, that he can actually help uh, by doing that. 
and and our allies would come to our aid uh, more openly, perhaps more aggressively. Uh, he can also help the situation in another way. I know that that all of the Canadian politicians, uh, without any sort of exception that I know publicly, um, always take um, uh, refuge under the rubric of freedom of expression when they defend Khalistani's right to demand Khalistan in Canada, sitting in Canada. But I've never seen any one of them, even before Modi, I've never seen any one of them going to the length of saying, hey folks, you have the right to demand Khalistan, but we tell you as a friendly democracy, as a friendly country, we don't support the dismemberment of India. Nobody's ever said that. Yeah, you know, I, I think political leaders who are heads of government have an obligation. If you want alliances in the world, if you want cooperation in the world, then you have to take a stand. If you believe you are secular and you don't even oppose people wanting to dismember India based on religion again, I mean, I, and that boggles my mind. Let's talk about this. Um because it's, you know, India is accusing Trudeau of playing vote bank politics. And in my experience, every political party, given an opportunity to play vote bank politics with ethnic or religious groups, will do so. Absolutely. You may have participated in that in the past in in your electoral uh, uh, history, Ujjal. But, tried, tried not to, but I may. Mean. Uh, it's... Uh, but in, in playing footsies with a group that wants to break up an ally, that would be akin to, um, you know, an, another country um, giving support to Quebec separatists. That, that would anger us. Well, uh, well um, it, will, it will anger us. But the fact is that they um, diluted the national security report several years ago that clearly uh, pointed a finger at the Khalistani extremism in Canada as a threat, as a credible threat. Uh, and, uh, and so, it, it, you know, like, why would you do that? It, it, you're, you're, trying, you're trying to play partisan politics or vote bank politics, as you call it, um, on national security questions. That's unforgivable. And Mr. Trudeau has done that. So we know Mr. Trudeau has played footsie. With the Khalistanis. You know, I'm thinking back to um, other uh, examples of, you know, uh, ethnic and religious strife from other countries coming here. You know, we arrested people that funded the IRA back in the 80s and 90s. We prosecuted them. Um, you know, uh, the Americans did the same. And that did not destroy uh, Ronald Reagan uh in the 80s being loved by uh, Ireland. In fact, every American president since Kennedy seems to go over to Ireland and get feted, but they, they'll still crack down on on people doing fundraising for terrorism. We can do both at once and, and not destroy relations, can't we? we? We can, but we haven't done that. In Canada, we haven't done that. Old Trudeau, senior Trudeau didn't do that. You know, in the government of India was asking uh, the the, the uh, Canadian government at that time to uh, to extradite uh, Tulwinder Pramar, who later on went uh, to um, you know to obviously down an airline, um, was eventually killed by India in India, and uh, so we, we you know we we have a history of not standing up 
particularly on this issue. Uh, well, I read, uh, and I'm sure you're familiar with this story, but I read a, a piece quoting Terry Molesky's book, and you know, there's few journalists in, in mainstream media in Canada who've written as much or broadcast as much on this as Molesky, and he detailed why the Indian government had gone to the Trudeau government in, I think it was 1982, yeah. and asked for the people who eventually masterminded the Air India bombing. Yes. They wanted them extradited three years before the bombing happened. Yes. And according to what Terry wrote, yes. they said no because of India wasn't deferential enough to the Queen. Is that serious? I, I have no idea. I've, I've read <laughs> Terry's column as well. I have no idea why. I mean, it's like, you know, I mean, we do actually behave like a banana republic sometimes. Uh, that's why... Canada right now is not taken seriously internationally. That's why our allies aren't standing up with us um, as robustly as they should have. Do you do you get the sense that overall, you said our allies aren't standing with us. Do you get the sense that we're not just downgraded in the eyes of, of India, but of the United States, of the British, of the Australians, and countries that should be standing with us? Oh, I... I I believe that's the case, if I may say so, and I don't mean to denigrate our prime minister, but um, I think on the international stage, uh, very few international leaders take would take Mr. Trudeau seriously at this moment. Very few. Uh, I think I think his reputation was destroyed by his previous visit to India. He destroyed it himself. Now there was a lot of. Uh mockery and merriment in parts of the Canadian media uh, on that trip with the more costume changes than a Britney Spears concert. But he, um, uh, the Indian media absolutely savaged him and, and he appears to have been a target ever since. Well, that's, I think, partly because I think he made a cartoon of himself by making those changes and, you know, trying to, I mean, he, for him, it was like the, a holiday. And the Baranga dancing. Yeah. I mean, it was like, that's cartoonish. I, I just, I don't, I don't believe uh, any serious uh, international statesman or stateswoman should or would do that. All right. Um, Ujjal, uh, I want to get into your experience with dealing with uh, Sikh extremists Um yourself when we come back after the break and and dive deeper into how we repair this uh, Canada U or Canada India relationship. We'll talk more on that when we come back. Religious and political extremism, it's not something we're used to dealing with in this country. It's not something we think that we deal with, but it does exist in this country and has for a long time. Um Ujo, before you even entered politics, you were uh, the victim of an attack. Um, and my understanding is it was a, a group of, of young Sikhs affiliated with uh, an organization that carried out other attacks. Talk to me about that that beating. Was it an, an attempt on your life or was it, um, you know, a few punches as a warning? Um, I think it was an attempt on my life. Um, the chap uh, came with uh, a crowbar uh, um, a bolt at the end of it and thump 
on my head several times. Um, you know, I was, it was evening. I had two, two, uh, briefcases in my hand. I had a, a Supreme Court trial on Monday morning and this is Friday night. And, uh, and this chap attacked me in the parking lot. Uh, I didn't know him at that time. And uh, I had footsteps, so I heard them coming towards me. I thought it was some young child that was playing in the in the lane uh, next to where my car was. Uh, I only found out when the first uh, first blow was already on my head that it was somebody who had come to attack me. And why why did they attack you? Oh, I had been getting threats um, for a long time. Um, that, that they were going to kill me, that they were going to reform me, that's their language, um, um, that I should so stop speaking out, uh, that I'm a traitor to the Sikhs, so that kind of stuff, because I was basically saying there should be no violence in Canada. You know, you have the right to ask for Khalistan. I have the right to say I don't support it, uh, but there should be no violence either here or in India on these questions, and uh, at least I don't support division of countries based on religion. Um, and that was the debate. And, and the other element of the debate was I was arguing that it had taken us a long time uh, to actually gain some equality, gain some recognition as a thriving community, and that these few hotheads who were running around creating hit lists of the enemies and, and hurting people and threatening them, and they were basically destroying our credibility as, as a community in the larger society, and they should stop it. Um, and uh, the other reason I spoke out was because I knew um, vast majority, I used to call it the silent majority, vast majority of the uh, Sikhs never supported uh, a separate state in India, and they still don't. And that, uh, you know, that, uh, that I wanted people to know, Canadians to know, one, that was a fact, two, that not all Sikhs are terrorists and violent. So how has this become a central issue in Canadian politics? Uh, because, you know, I, I've looked at the, the polling and the studies as well. I've looked at the votes. You're right. It, it's not well supported among Sikhs in India. Um, it's, it, in fact, it has no support. Not, not just well supported. It has it, no support. I, I've heard single digit support. in Perhaps. I mean, that, like, there's one, you know, everybody says here, if, if you are a Khalistani, you go to India and they're going to mistreat you, jail you. I mean, you have a Khalistani member of parliament sitting in the house of, sitting in the, the, the in parliament. He's elected, but he's kind of useless. Yeah, he gets elected because people know him. He's old, <laughs> belongs to a great family. Uh, so, you know, India isn't, uh, it, it's not like as anti-democratic as some of us want to make it out to be. Um, and, and, and there is, as Terry said in his column, there, there is no support. No one wants Khalistan. They'll run you out of the house if you, if so, you talk to them. So why it. is it so big here? I was speaking with, uh, with one gentleman, um, from Brampton the other day. And I said, it, it seemed to me like this, this issue had kind of waned. It had gone away. It was big in the eighties. It was big in the nineties, maybe into early two thousands and then kind of faded and you didn't hear about it as much and, and that it's bigger now. And, and so this gentleman said, look, it's, um, it's a lot of people who may not remember the, the violent fights of the past, it, but it's also um, people reacting in this country to what Modi's doing in India. 
Would you would you agree with that? That perhaps some people are are saying saying they're more sympathetic to it because of the farm protests and what have you. Oh, I don't think so. I don't think farm protests had anything to do with this. I I think I think what's more is Modi's march towards the so-called Hindu Rashtra has emboldened other people to say, if you want Hindu Rashtra in India, how about Khalistan? Right. So um, I think that that may have something to do with it. It it gives people some legitimacy. If if the head of the country wants a Hindu Rashtra. Why can't other people ask for other things uh, along religious lines? Uh, I think the, the, the other questions are the usual explanations. I mean, you have people who have come here as immigrants, people who have come here as refugees, particularly Khalistani refugees. Now, if you pretend that you're a refugee, then you begin to actually wear those clothing, go to the temple. You have to prove to the authorities you're a refugee. Then you get sucked in. And the other issue is, Many of these people don't read English press. They don't, uh, you know, listen to the concerns that Canadians express daily about their own lives. They're not connected with the Canadian reality. They're isolated, alienated. They need something larger than themselves to attach uh, themselves to. It makes them feel alive. And, uh, and so there are many, many reasons why you have this. And you will always have. Uh, this will continue for a long time unless Canadian leadership says to some of these folks, hey folks, India is a friendly country, despite this current situation, which we hopefully overcome. India is a friendly country. We don't like anybody promoting its dismemberment. Nobody has said that. I think if Canadian leaders started saying that, it would stop in no time. You know, part of what you were saying with how people come here and and then they they develop these thought process or support for Khalistan. Um, within my own family, within the various immigrant communities that grew up around, there's always people who move to a new country like Canada and then become yeah. more proud, more patriotic of their former homeland than they ever were at home. I've known people who didn't care about anything in the old country until they got to the new country. And that's what it, that's what it sounds a bit like. It, it it is it is in fact it is it is much like that it is much much like that the other factor that you must consider you see in india if you go to amritsar golden temple early in the morning you'll see more hindus there than sikhs because amritsar is a is a largely a mixed city but it's largely a hindu city um and and therefore you know people live next to each other they intermarry they see each other every day. They live their lives with each other. So there is that healing process that takes place. When you're in Canada, you go to your temple, you go to your construction site, you speak Punjabi, you read the same thing, you talk the same thing. So you become a bit of a mental ghetto. And uh, and there is no healing process that takes place in a country like Canada for them. As you know, we were laughing a moment ago about how some of this happens, but it can be deadly serious. We've had Air India was until nine eleven the worst air terror attack ever. Um, it's uh, you know the attack on you, um, the attack on uh, the uh, the minister. I'm forgetting his name now. Yeah. I've written about him several times. Yes, yeah, Sidhu. Um, that was 1985 or 86. After your attack, you 
They, yep. they attempted to, to kill a minister on Canadian soil uh, from the Indian government. Uh, there are tit-for-tat battles that go on. Th- there is a very vicious, violent side to this that um, I agree with you. I think Canadian leadership needs to to step up. But how do they deal with the violence? Does does saying, look, we, we don't want India to be broken up, to, I, I don't see that solving the violent side of this. Oh, I think I think that would solve uh, the the respectability and acceptability side of it. It would become less respectable, even in the eyes of the people who are practicing that kind of politics, to engage in that politics. It would become less acceptable in the larger society. You see, a lot of things happen if the larger society begins to spurn what you're doing, uh, and and it's quite visible. Um, you stop doing it. Because you're a minority. I think there are a lot of things that can happen. And leadership, you know, matters. Leadership matters on these kinds of issues. And, and Canadian politicians have, have rarely shown any leadership on these issues. You, you said earlier that uh, for relations between Canada and India to get better, we need to look beyond Justin Trudeau. I, I think we can see that on the horizon. Um, a change in leadership either at the head of the Liberal Party or... You know, if polls stay as they are, a change in government. I think one of the other is inevitable after almost a decade in office. I'm less sure about how long Modi sticks around. But do you think that, you know, there's been a lot of uh, talk about an Indo-Pacific strategy now. That seems to have only come about due to... um, the fact that we've had a big falling out with China. So now we, we've got the, the two biggest growing economies in the world furious with us. Um, horrible relations with both. Do you think that Canadian politicians have, have taken India seriously enough prior to the, these last couple of years? I, I remember some calling for free trade with India, growing ties with India two decades ago. Deepak Obrey. I think it was 2005 Deepak first mentioned to me that we need free trade with India. Some people were talking about it, but India has always seemed to take a backseat to China. Well, China was growing much faster and a more massive economy than India. There's no question. So, uh, you know, and, and we had a longer relationship with China, you know, the days of Trudeau and the, the days of the, a recognition of China. Mm-hmm. Canada was the first country to do that. I think there was that history. Um, although we have a, a common Commonwealth history uh, with Canada, with India, uh, you know, not much attention was paid. Suc- successive governments, particularly the successive liberal governments, uh, followed uh, that line and uh, cemented the relationship with China. Uh, relationship with India was ignored because India was a very small economy. Um, it's only recently that India is making strides and uh, is becoming a bit of a player. And therefore, I think India is more important. And, and Canadian leadership has to pay attention. Like, Canadians, Canadians would never... Canada, if once the relationship, when the relationship between China and Canada was healthy, Canadian leaders would have never ignored Chinese or Hong Kong people sitting here trying to undermine China, destabilize China, and create problems for our relationship with China. Canadians, Canadian leadership has not paid the same attention to our relationship with India. No, they've, uh, in, in, 
the prime minister is definitely getting an earful on Indian media over that, saying, well, I, and I think you mentioned it in, in an interview as well, uh, that Khalistan is more likely to happen in Canada than India, and maybe you should just have it there. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you, you know what worries me is that if these kinds of things are allowed to fester, if people are today asking, you know, we don't want to live with the Hindus and Muslims in Punjab. We want a separate Sikh state. Well, give it a hundred years or two hundred years, they may want the same thing in Canada. What's happening with large-scale immigration that's happening from all over the world, I'm afraid because our political leaders don't make any demands of the new immigrants to come and change a bit, come and become Canadians, you know, mainstream, like values, democracy, fairness, ability to listen to each other um, without violence. If you don't make those kinds of expectations known to new immigrants, you are, in fact, literally importing the tribal wars from all over the world that would replay on Canadian soil 100 years from now, maybe 50 years from now. And and they would. They would. We already have people, this chap from across the border, Pannu, he's already saying Hindus should be expelled from Canada. So you'll have a reaction to that. So you'll have a recreation of a conflict that actually never existed in India before 1984. Hindus and Sikhs have never, like most Hindus don't consider Sikhs as separate and apart from them. Uh, they, they think Sikhs are just part of them. And so you'll have that, that kind of uh, stuff happening on Canadian soil. Uh, that, I saw that video the other day and it was shocking. But it, it, yeah, it, people calling for the religious balkanization of Canada. Absolutely. And, and, and I'm saying to you, we are irresponsible, not just on the question of India. I mean, I can give you a litany of this, but we are absolutely irresponsible as political leaders when we don't say to our newcomers, please become Canadian, learn Canadian values. I mean, Trudeau is famous or infamous for saying we have no mainstream. We have many streams. Well, I'm sorry. If we have no mainstream, then we really have no business calling ourselves a country. We have a mainstream. You, you know, it's um, too many people are afraid to say what you just did, that we have to have some expectations of um, adaptation to Canadian Absolutely. Canadian way of life because they're afraid of being called racist. And I remember there was a, a controversy in Gatineau across from Ottawa. Uh, they yeah. had put out a brochure for new immigrants that was being handed out at the Immigration Welcome Center. And, and yeah. they, it was denounced because in part they said, they warned people, you know, you can't bribe officials here. And, and, and the anti-racism campaigner said, how dare you say that? You, you assume that people come from countries where there's bribes. And I was working with a, a cameraman originally of, from Russia. And, and he, he, he said that the best advice he got when he came to Canada was don't offer bribes. You'll go to jail. Because in Russia, if you don't bribe people, nothing happens. Then you go to jail. Yes. If you don't so he said, if nobody told me that, I would have ended up in jail. But Absolutely. but we we are afraid to express anything. Um, it, well, you know, the, uh, several years ago, I wrote a column uh, calling saying, "Let the white man speak," because this identity politics, this, this sort of extremism in the form of identity politics, has taken over our life, and and we are in fact trying to tell 
white guys, you have no right to speak. <laughs> and if, if you have no right to speak, how are we going to have a dialogue? Yeah, you're a majority, but still, you should be able to freely express your views. If they're bad, we'll tell you. If they're good, we'll tell you. But we need to have a dialogue. And I was excoriated by the CBC. Man, <laughs> I, I still remember that. <laughs> well, we'll see if there is Canadian leadership that will uh, will take on these issues. Do you see um, Do you see more fallout from the last few days and the the allegations coming from uh, from the Modi government or from the Trudeau government? You know, there's been cancellation of visas. The Indian consulate in Toronto is in the same building as Post Media, and I was speaking with someone in the hall, and they've been told no visas to India for Canada. I'm expecting tariffs to come in at, at a certain point on on our agricultural products. What else do you expect? I, I don't think there'll be tariffs. I mean, at least I hope there are no tariffs. I, I, I This visa thing is a great inconvenience for Indo-Canadians. You know, people have ties back home. They want to go sort out their family issues, their property issues or marriages and funerals and services, um, you know, and, and that is so sad. And I think that's partly, I can't blame Mr. Trudeau for that, but I, Mr. Trudeau should have paused and reflected on how to deal with this issue in a responsible way so that we don't go down the slippery slope and we all suffer. That's not to say we should condone what India is alleged to have done. If India has done that, that's absolutely condemnable. We should do that. But there are responsible ways of dealing with those issues. All right. Ujjal, it was great to speak to you again. And uh, and thanks for your insight on uh, what is a, a very um, complex web Thanks so much for the time. Good talking to you. All right. Good seeing you. Bye-bye. Full Comment is a post-media podcast. My name's Brian Lilly, your host. This episode was produced by Andre Pru with theme music by Bryce Hall. Kevin Libin is the executive producer. Again, remember, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Amazon, and more. Help us out by giving us a rating or leaving a review and tell your friends about us. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Brian Lilly.